Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Look, I know what you're thinking. How can This Is Nashville be doing a show about solar energy when it's overcast and raining outside? I feel you, but hear me out. Middle Tennessee gets plenty of sunlight, enough to make solar power a real contender to handle our growing energy needs sustainably. So how can individuals get in on solar energy? Who has access? And what about large-scale projects that can really make the difference for our grid? That's coming up later this hour. But first, this week, leaders from across the globe are meeting in Egypt for the 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP27 for short. One theme that has emerged is an increasing willingness to call out the often bogus net zero claims by companies and local governments. We've heard these pledges here in Tennessee, where the state's main electricity provider, TVA, has set an aspiration of becoming net zero by 2050. But what does that really mean? Here to help us make sense of it all is WPLN's environmental reporter, Caroline Eggers. Caroline, welcome back. Hey, glad to be here. So, you know, this is a big moment for energy. World leaders are gathered in Egypt right now to discuss the climate crisis. And, you know, there was a new report this week about the planet reaching carbon dioxide, record carbon dioxide levels. And we do know fossil fuels are the main contributor to climate change, right? Yes. So... How much fossil fuel generation do we have in Tennessee currently? If we look at TVA, the utility that provides the vast majority of electricity in the state, currently 44% of their generation is from fossil fuels. Mm. 28% is natural gas and 16% is coal. And TVA has publicly announced plans for four gigawatts of new natural gas to replace some of the coal. A good reference I heard recently is that a nuclear plant is often about one gigawatt. So TVA is planning like four nuclear plants worth of new gas. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Okay. So, you know, TVA said it needs more fossil fuel generation to add renewables and meet future electricity demands. Is that really true? Um, so a U.S. Department of Energy lab recently did a study on 100% clean energy by 2035. It showed the possibility of achieving 80% wind and solar with flexible options for the remaining 20%, such as nuclear power. TVA currently has 3% wind and solar. They have 40% nuclear, 11% hydro, and they have plans for more nuclear hydrogen and storage. From what I have been told by basically every energy expert outside of TVA, they have the ability to just build renewables to meet electricity demand while decommissioning their fossil fuel assets. For reference, Next Era in Florida is the largest utility. They reached 44% wind and solar in 2021, and they're adding more. So no, this claim is not true. They have options to meet future electricity demand that do not involve fossil fuels at all. Mm. A report by the U.N. says any company with a net zero goal that is building new fossil of new fossil fuel supply is greenwashing. All right. That's a new term for me. Can you explain to us what greenwashing is? Yeah. 
The classic definition of greenwashing is that it's the practice of using media campaigns, PR spin, and also distraction to deceive the public into believing an organization's aims or actions are more ecological than they really are. So it's like an environmental gaslighting, but we don't want to use that horrible pun, do we? Um, no. <laughs> okay. So, you know, what could the future of energy look like in Tennessee if we did ditch fossil fuels? Um, so fortunately, we have a lot of options. I was interviewing a scientist last week from the National Renewable Energy Lab, which is part of the Department of Energy, about the latest wind resources maps, because it looked like Tennessee has a good amount of wind. A decade ago, this lab estimated that Tennessee had less than one gigawatt of wind energy potential. Now, our technology and our understanding of the resources has really changed. The new estimate is 73 gigawatts of wind energy potential. Mm. <laughs> this is massive. Um, TVA has a total of 34 gigawatts of power. And that's just one example of a resource we could be using. So, you know, do we have any idea why TVA is planning more gas power instead of moving in this direction? TVA has said that they uh, need these gas plants to, in order to build the renewables that uh, everyone is asking for. Um, but like we said earlier, this is greenwashing. Yeah, greenwashing. <laughs> I, I got a question for you. You know, we talk and you follow this very passionately. They have these goals for 2050, which right now stands at, you know, close to, in a couple months, 27 years away. Is that soon, is that too late for us to really make these moves? Yeah, um, I would point out that TVA, like other utilities, are using these 2030 or 2035 deadlines as an excuse to delay climate action instead of responding to the urgency of climate change. These deadlines that have been set and these well-known temperature thresholds, this mm -hmm. is backed by science, but, they, but they're not responding to it. <laughs> yeah, let, let's hope someone does. Caroline, I want to thank you so much for your reporting. Thanks for being here. That was WPLN's environmental reporter, Caroline Eggers. Thanks again, Caroline. All right, thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll attempt to part the clouds and shed some light on solar energy in Middle Tennessee. If you could put solar panels on your home or business right now, would you do it? Do you already have them? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The weather's getting colder and all of us need energy to heat our homes. That energy consumption is gonna cost money. So there's also an environmental cost to that energy as well because the more fossil fuels we burn to generate that power, the greater risk we pose to the planet through greenhouse gas emissions. But there are alternatives and solar energy has a lot of upside. Sunshine is abundant here in Tennessee and it is a sustainable power source. Plus, unlike a nuclear reactor or wind turbine, you can get solar panels installed right on your house. My next guest did just that, Dr. Carol Ziegler. Welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, thank you for having me. Really a pleasure to have you with us. So, you know, you recently installed solar panels on your home, right? 
Yes, I did. What was that process like? It was really easy. Um, I called uh, a solar engineer that I knew, and it, in a couple of weeks, they were getting to work. Um, and I've really seen a huge benefit and decrease in my energy bill since then. How much of the installation process happens inside of the home? I have a, I'm curious about that. You know, it's really not much. It was mostly in my experience, you know, they're on your roof putting these panels on. And then in, in my case, they had to sort of rewire the home. So they were just really in one room of my home where they put the, they installed the battery. Um, and it was really easy and, and simple to, to work with them. About how long did it take? Well, we had a dog issue. We had to keep moving around. But I think typically, I don't think it would take more than probably a couple of weeks um, in a in normal situation. Okay. So anybody out there? For future reference, make sure that your dogs are properly put in the right place. <laughs> you know, you mentioned a battery. Tell me more about that. So we have a battery uh, because I wanted to be able to store solar. I wanted I wanted to have energy like when the power goes out, like, you know, we had the tornado a couple of years ago. We didn't have energy for a while. So that was important to me. Um, and so when I talked to, to Jason Carney at Energy Electives about my options, he suggested that we get a battery and I've been really, really happy with it since putting it in. Now that the panels are in place, how does it work? Explain to me the system in your house. So I think um, a solar engineer might be better to explain, but I will do my best. Um, so essentially there's these panels, right? And they, in real time, um, that's where, so I'm not pulling energy from the grid. I'm getting it straight from my roof. When I'm not using energy, then energy that I'm not using directly is stored within the battery. So then if the power goes out or like at nighttime when the sun is down, I still um, have energy. Did you find it relatively easy, this entire process? Yes, it was extremely easy. Um, Jason and his team are really wonderful to work with. It was really simple. He explained everything to me um, really thoroughly. I think, I don't know how difficult it was on their end, like to get, you know, I live in a historic overlay. So to get permission to put the panels on the roof and that sort of thing, because mm -hmm. they sort of did all, handled all that for me. So backing up just a bit, tell me, how did you get interested in solar energy? Well, that's a great question. So I am a family nurse practitioner and I was um, an NP at Meharry for about 20 years. I re recently left to start my own practice. And I noticed over the years that I've been really interested in climate change and environmental health as a nurse. And a lot of the patients that I work with have really, really low carbon footprints, but they pay an extremely high price for climate change, literally with their bodies. So a lot of families don't have air conditioning. They live in communities where the air quality is really poor or live in areas where like I have patients in James Casey, right? And they're in that sort of interstate corridor. And I was just like, this is really, really unfair that they're not contributing to the same degree that I am, right? But they're having much worse um, health outcomes for that. Mm. And so I sort of became like the spokesperson for climate and health. And I was like, I can't be out here talking about it <laughs> mm. and not doing everything I can in my power to decrease my own footprint. So that's really the reason why I decided to go with solar on my house. But, okay, so thinking about that, you're doing everything within your power, but what if someone can't or doesn't have solar panels on their roof at the moment? What can we all do as individuals to consume less energy and to help? Well, there are a lot of things. And the great thing about it is there's a lot of things that you can do that also benefit your health. So um, if we think about like housing, transportation, food, one of the best things that people can do is to change to a plant-based diet. So if you just change your diet to plant-based, you will both extend your lifespan, decrease your risk for heart disease, and also really dramatically decrease your carbon footprint. 
um, if you compost your food waste. So I didn't know this. I thought if you throw food away in a landfill versus composting, it's the same thing, but apparently it's not. Mm. So I learned that if you compost your food, you dramatically decrease your greenhouse gas emissions. So those are two things. And then I think also, you know, like taking the bus, public transportation, um, if you have, if you own a home, you can have it weatherized. And I know MDHA has a program for low-income families um, to weatherize their home. So there are lots of things that you can do to sort of achieve this sort of co-benefit space where you are decreasing your emissions and also improving your health. Now, my next guest is the person who installed those solar panels on Carol's home. Jason Carney is the founder of Solar Electives, And he joins us now. Jason, thanks for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. So what's it like to install solar panels? What's your approach? Oh, well, it's it's something I enjoy. Um, I I kind of, you know, I've always, I'm a mechanical engineer by education, um, but kind of a native Nashvillian. So I've always liked to kind of get my hands dirty and, and out cutting grass or just doing stuff. So... I've always said I like to do a little bit in in the office, but I also like to get out. So installing solar for me um, is is really enjoyable uh, for multiple reasons. One, um, for helping people like uh, Dr. Ziegler um, realize their their sustainability goals, um, and two, to be just kind of up on the roof. Um, it, it's a uh, it's a special thing, you know. I people tell I tell people you have to get your roof legs. It's not for everyone initially, but to kind of be see that see the skyline of Nashville or just the skyline of, or, or the roof line of a neighborhood is is really cool when you're up there. And um, also when I'm training people and they say, "Wow, I can't believe I'm installing solar." So uh, just for multiple reasons, it's it's uh, it's great. About how many people do you have in your training program? Uh, so. I bring them in as I'm able to, you know, as I have the work to come in. Uh, so I've, I've trained probably two or three um, in the job directly. And I might pick that up a couple more people. But as far as when I worked with the high school, there was several. There may be 25, 30 students that we trained um, to install solar. Mm. Now, tell me big picture, well, local big picture. <laughs> What's going on with solar in Nashville right now? Um. Well, right now, uh, there's there's you know so much to it, but I, I'll just say at this very moment, um, you always have this um, push and pull. There's people want solar. There there are many studies out there that show that Tennesseans want solar. I think over eighty percent of Tennesseans say we want solar, and then you have um, the folks like myself who really love solar and want to get solar to people and have to overcome a lot of policy issues and barriers. Uh, and then you have, unfortunately, um, kind of the interloper types that will come in and not, they don't care about the people and they just want to try to make a fast book. Mm. They make a lot of mistakes. And then uh, folks like myself are, are left with getting those phone calls saying these people came in and charge me all this money and and jobs not finished. So, you know, there's uh there's a lot going on um and then we also have, you know, the uh, federal policy that's coming down that everyone's anticipating. Now, I want to get back to some of the barriers later, but mm-hmm. you know, what options for solar are currently available for homeowners in Nashville? Solar-wise? Yeah. Um so TVA as was um said before has um, 
buckets, uh, different offerings. Um, but since they took away uh, net metering uh, or even incentivizing people to go solar, uh, it, it's really down for the homeowner. It's down to kind of one or two options. One is to just go completely behind the meter. Um, and so you have to register with NES um, and, and apply and, and pay $275 uh, to apply just so they know that you're on their system, that you could possibly be backfeeding into their system. Um, and then um, as Dr. Ziegler talked about, you need a battery in that situation um, because there is no incentive. There is no net metering that where you're being paid for what you put back onto the grid. So you can go that route or you can go um, the other route, with, which is to get into the their program, uh, um, Green it's green. I can't remember the exact name of it, but uh, it pays you m- much less than the retail rate for uh, electricity. So um, if you don't want to get the battery, which is like 60 percent on top of uh, the cost of a solar system. So uh, and have that much bigger capital cost initially, you can also you could go with not having a battery and getting in this program, but then not being. Uh, compensated fairly for the electricity you're putting back on the grid. So you're talking about batteries and these systems. What is the latest tech for solar? Oh, mm, that's <laughs> that goes pr- pretty deep. Um, I would say this: the latest tech. I don't want to get too deep, but batteries are are it, really the latest tech. Mm. Um, we need storage. Storage is there now. There are more options for batteries. Um, with uh, kind of building them up modularly instead of having to have one fixed amount of battery. Um, but then you could go all the way down into rapid shutdown and what we're doing to keep our, our uh, firemen safe and, and our utility workers safe. And, and so there's there's a lot of tech going into rapid shutdown. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. you know, it costs some money mm-hmm. to get a solar system, um, a panel system installed in one's house. What incentives currently exist for homeowners who have solar panels installed? And, and, and that's a great tragedy, you know, locally and statewide, that there are, there are really no incentives um, mm. anymore uh, locally and statewide. Um, there is, for us, just the, um, the federal incentive. So right now it's 26% of the total cost of your system um, as well. As, and, so, and hopefully, well, since the Inflation Reduction Act passed, it will go up to 30 um, percent at the beginning of 2023, uh, and there's more. But uh, I'm not super well versed on all the incentives, but that's as far as I know. Now, mm-hmm. Carol, it sounds like you know you're pretty up to date with that battery that Jason recommended for you. Have your neighbors asked you about your system? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of people actually, when they walk by, they've asked me about the panels, how I, you know, if I like them and everybody seemed, you know, they've, they've all said they want to, of course, I'm referring everyone to Jason. Um, so yeah, it seems like there's a lot of interest for sure. Have you taken advantage of any of, of the federal incentive that's available to you? Um, I did submit for my taxes. Like I notified um, the government that I had, you know, put on panels. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind me asking, how much did it cost to have your solar panels installed? The panels with the battery was about around 25000 Have you seen a reduction in your energy costs as since then? I, yes, I have. I think I'm almost, I mean, essentially there's been a few months where I've really only paid 
whatever sort of the baseline charges, which I think is around $35. So I think if I was able to like pull off of the grid, I wouldn't have, there, there would be months where I didn't have any energy costs at all. Wow. I can imagine that that type of $35 bill coming in very, being very helpful in June, July, August, when we're in the dog days and the heat of the summer. Um, that, that's that, that's pretty special. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about solar power with Dr. Carol Ziegler and Jason Carney of Solar Electives. Now, Jason, I want to get back to these barriers a little bit. You talked about them before. What are some of these barriers that people face when it comes to accessing solar power? Um, the, the, the biggest one is... Um, is the initial cost. Um, and then the second one, real close to that, is education. So a lot of people don't know. People are getting a lot more aware now. Um, um, but then there is still um, the idea that the people that need solar the most, uh, as we start to talk about energy burden, which is the percent of your income that you pay towards your, your energy bill, um, the people that need it the most are also the people that don't have the ability to put down the capital investment that it takes. And so... Um, that to me, I, you know, to answer the question is probably the biggest barrier, um, is that capital investment and then not having the incentives, um, and, and the policy changes that have happened over the last, uh, you know, it's, it's been going down. The incentive used to be like 15 cent over retail rate. So if you were paying 10 cents, um, per kilowatt hour, you were getting like 25 cents this is like 2012-ish. Mm -hmm. And then as the years go on and people become more and more aware of solar and the price of solar falls, uh, then somehow the TVA's wisdom was we need to drop the incentive. They kept dropping that very precipitously until they took away the incentive altogether. And then we were at net metering, which means if I'm paying 10 cents per kilowatt hour, then I'll also pay you 10 cents for your kilowatt hour that you give back. Then they decided that, that was too much as well. So then they cut that. Hmm. So again, now as I tell homeowners, you, unfortunately, you need a battery. You're gonna have to, you know, it's it's wiser to have a battery because what essentially happens if you don't, um, we wake up in the morning, we turn all our stuff on. The sun's not up. We leave out. All of our stuff is off essentially, but the sun's making the most power it's gonna make. And then that happens again. End of the day, you come, you turn everything on, but the sun's now down. So you're making the most power when you need it the least in a, in a residential mm -hmm. application. Uh, and so that, without storage, that power is going to seep over into the grid. They're going to take it, push it into your neighbor's meter, and then sell, sell it to your neighbor for retail. So they got it for free from you. Okay. And then they sell it for retail. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's quite a business model. <laughs> now, you know, the Nashville Voice published a profile of you in 2019 that mm -hmm. called you the only black man in Tennessee solar. So let me ask you, how do you see inequality? How do you see that play out in the conversation about green energy? Hmm, that's a big question. Um, so yeah, to, to kind of be clear, um, as far as I know, and I've, we've talked to uh, others around the state, I'm the only African-American that has uh, gotten the designation of a from NABCEP, which is a body that um, that tests you on your solar knowledge. So um, that's as, as far as we know. And I used to always, you know, um, first is great, but only is not great. I like being first, but we need a lot more 
people if we're going to tackle climate change, if we're going to tackle, tackle greenhouse gas emissions, um, as your reporter said, uh, we're only using 3% wind and solar. Mm-hmm. That's a, there's a lot that we can do um, to bring in a lot of solar. And, and that's that much is more than any one company could do by themselves. So we're going to need a lot more solar, and then we're going to need a lot more people to be able to install and design and do all the things for solar. And so um, I saw this as a native Nashvilleian as a way to uh, help the the people that I grew up in in my community. Uh, I grew up, you know, in in the city yeah. before the city was expensive to live in. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I graduate and I go and work in um, the professional world and I'm seeing so much opportunity. And it's like, but right down the street, there's no opportunity. How can we bridge that gap for, for these communities and for these people. And, and I, I felt like solar for me is the way and the green economy overall is the way um, because as I often say, no man owns the sun. So mm-hmm. um, we can, we can mine the sun and, and, you know, there's never been a solar spill. So there's so many reasons um, that it's the right industry and it can bring in all the people. Now, Carol, I understand that you're a nurse and a co-founder of CHEAL, the Climate Health Equity Lab at Vanderbilt. So how, do, how does your career in nursing inform your work in climate health? Oh, it completely does. Um, and I think, so we founded the CHEAL Lab myself, Drs. Dravka Zankova and Dr. James Mochira here. James is at the School of Nursing with me. With the idea really being, you know, we came together with this with this issue that there's these communities, right, who are low income in Nashville and the global south as well, who get no credit for their sort of green lifestyle. They're taking the bus every day. They're living very densely. Their energy footprint is low. Um, they're not consuming like like the rest of us are. And so we just thought this was a huge inequity. And then my colleague, um, Dr. Zankova, she works in the carbon offset space. So what we're trying to do together is find ways to direct all this money that is going into carbon offsets into initiatives that will both mitigate carbon and improve the health of low-income communities that are, that really deserve the credit, right, for the lifestyles that they have. So um, that's what we're working on right now. We have a group of about 15 students that we're working with. We have, you know, we've talked to Jason about some other projects that he's working on. And so we're really looking for ways to both highlight the contribution that communities are making um, because of their lifestyles and also find ways to get those resources into those communities. So, you know, in your mind, what should we all be aware of when it comes to understanding climate change and inequality that happens in our country and community? I think it's really, you know, it's really stark. If you look at a graph of carbon footprint by income level, it's very clear. So the higher your income, the higher your carbon footprint across the board. And so I think the main thing to think of is that many times, you know, I think we make assumptions that that people, everyone has access to air conditioning and everyone has clean air and it's just not true. And so the, the people in the communities that really have, um, that are, are really bearing the brunt of this, of, of heat, right? There's, there, there's 
There's um, communities in Nashville that really suffer from heat because they're urban centers, they have low tree cover. A lot of them don't have air conditioning. There's no regulation for public housing to have air conditioning. And then that, that also leads to worse air quality. And so these communities are having you know, higher rates of asthma. They're having admissions into hospitals because of heat-related illnesses. And they have really green lifestyles, and yet we don't hear about them. They're sort of the unsung heroes of the environmental movement. And so Chill is really trying to find ways to get those resources that are floating around and that these companies are using to buy these offsets into these communities who are who are already living green, whether that's through housing or energy equity, transportation. So we're kind of working on that right now to see what is the best way to get at that. You know, how important to you is it that people educate themselves and others about the benefits of having solar energy in their homes and communities? That's extremely important. And for two angles, you know, one is that fossil fuels contribute to a lot of death across the world, from cancer to heart disease to airway disease. If you look at the top 100 causes of death, you know, the majority of them are, are worsened by fossil fuels. So by both switching to solar, we're reducing that, that fossil fuel emissions. And then also we have this crisis that I think is now becoming clear which is this climate crisis, right? And it is impacting all of us, but it's impacting communities with, that have less you know, resiliency factors. So it's harder for them to move or relocate or they have less sort of wealth to cushion you know, when there's tornadoes or floods and, and heat and things like that. And so I think it's really important that people, anyone who can, you know, afford to make these changes, make them. But also we're all going to have to get a little bit uncomfortable um, so that we have equity across the board and so that we can, you know, live together in, in sort of this crisis that we find ourselves in right now. And I think solar is just such a great way to go. Um, and I think the work that Jason is doing is, is so, so important. Dr. Carol Ziegler is a co-founder of the Climate Health and Equity Lab at Vanderbilt. Carol, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Jason Carney, stick with us. Through the break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the possibilities for scaling up solar energy in our city and state. What do you want the city to do with solar energy? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about some of the opportunities to incorporate solar energy into our own lives on a roof-to-roof -roof basis. But what about the big solar projects? What kind that can crank out the kind of juice, enough juice that will benefit us as a whole? What are some of the large-scale projects in progress? And how do politics play into creating a sustainable energy future? To help us learn more, I'd like to welcome my next guests. Kendra Abkowitz is the Chief Sustainability and Resilience Officer at Metro Nashville, and Matt Beasley is the Chief Commercial Officer for Silicon Ranch. Kendra, Matt, thanks for being here, and welcome to This Is Nashville. Good afternoon, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Really a pleasure to have you both. Now, Matt, tell me, what does Solar Ranch do? What is the mission? Well, uh, you, you've made a, a common <laughs> mistake that I've heard a lot. We're Silicon Ranch. Uh, we, we are a solar company, but Silicon Ranch is uh, is the name of the business. We, we were founded uh, here in Nashville almost a dozen years ago by former governor and former 
Asheville Mayor uh, Phil Bredesen and uh, his Commissioner of Economic Community Development, Matt Kisber, and his Commissioner of Revenue, Reagan Farr. And we're a utility-scale uh, solar uh, independent power producer. So what we were talking about on the last segment was uh, residential, and there's small-scale commercial uh, solar, but we uh, develop fund, own, operate, and maintain utility-scale solar plants. So that's uh, projects that uh, that can power thousands of homes uh, with one facility. All right. So tell me, what are some of the larger solar projects that are happening in Tennessee right now? So currently, uh, as we're speaking now, we're, we're building seven uh, projects in the state of Tennessee, uh, from Greenville in East Tennessee all the way to Bolivar uh, in West Tennessee. So, so covering the, the, the span of the, the state, but we're also in 16 states from New York to California. Um, so we, uh, we're known as a pioneer in the Southeast, but actually have a footprint uh, uh, all over, all over the, um, the, the country. The largest one we're building uh, today in Tennessee is a 70 megawatt uh, facility, and that's uh, in Jackson, Tennessee. So 70 megawatts, if you think about, you know, there's different rules of thumb uh, in the industry. But if you think about a, a megawatt being enough to power uh, 175 homes on, on average, that 70 megawatts would uh, would produce enough power to serve 12,250 homes uh, annually. Now, when you say large scale projects that you all are working on, you're talking about these huge solar farms that one might see in an en- energy commercial, right? That, that that's correct. So so we're uh, you know we you know in the early days of Silicon Ranch we did do some residential rooftop uh, projects, but today our, our typical projects they're all ground mounted uh, projects that use tracking technology to to use tens of thousands in some cases hundreds of thousands of solar panels to track the sun as it moves across the sky uh, to to power homes and businesses. Kendra, let me ask you what what is the city what's Nashville doing to increase its usage of solar energy? We have a lot of focus on this topic right now. Um, Approximately a a little bit less than 50% of our greenhouse gas emissions as a city um, and as metro government um, come from our consumption of electricity. So when we're looking to reduce our climate impact, what type of electricity and how that's that's made uh, really makes a huge difference. And so I think we're taking a combination of different approaches to try to reduce our carbon footprint from electricity and harness um, clean energy, specifically solar. Um, So we do have legislation that Metro Council passed in 2019 that establishes something called a renewable portfolio standard, which basically um, requires Metro government um, to supply Metro general government operations by 100% carbon-free energy resources in 2041. And there are phase targets up until 2041 to get us there. Um, so so we're, we're, we're really um, you know, committed to achieving these requirements. Um, we're looking at both uh, utility scale um, potential installations. So those large installations that Matt um, and, and folks like Silicon Ranch um, end up installing, but we're also looking at um, some in-county installations also on Metro facilities and Metro properties. Um, this is important to us because I think there's um, a lot of uh, cost efficiency that can come from utility scale projects. Um, and as we all know, land is really at a premium in Davidson County. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, however, it's really important to make sure that we're providing exposure and visibility 
to solar in our community. And so that's where installing solar on our metro facilities um, becomes really important. And so one project that um, I'm currently heading up with a variety of different metro departments is an on-site solar feasibility assessment where metro is working um, with a local consultant to evaluate all of its properties uh, for suitability of solar. Um, and so once we run those potential sites through cost-benefit analysis, then we'll start considering where installations may make sense and um, all the procurement processes that go along with that. So um, again, really excited to take that um, two-fold approach of looking at utility-scale solar, but then also some in-county solar to, to help us achieve those targets. Now, now, Jason, as we heard earlier, you installed solar panels on people's rooftops, but you also have been a part of some of these conversations on larger-scale projects, right? Right. Um, and, and probably from um, for the most part uh, as being a part of the mayor's sustainability uh, advisory committee, um, just talking about the direction that we want to and you know, in the energy subcommittee, as a matter of fact. So just talking about what direction we need to go in and how do we get there and what are the suggestions, you know, that we all you know input it to um you know, headed, get us headed in the right direction. I'm curious, how do single-scale projects like Carol's House, mm -hmm. how does that fit into the bigger picture? Well, you know, I, I, I'm partial, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and I'm also looking forward to getting into larger-scale and utility-scale projects as well. I think, you know, I have to, disclaimer, all are important. Um, but the, to me, the difference is you can... Do a quite a bit with utility scale. You can cover a lot of homes, but you can't get that power into a single home. So that power is going to have to be uh, off, to, off, to, off taken by the utility. So now the utility remains, uh, you know, kind of the the most important player. Whereas in residential, the individual homeowner gets has the power, mm -hmm. and we need both because we got, like I said. Getting from three percent to where we need to be, we're going to need it all. Yeah, but that's just uh, me saying that the the pros and cons is when the power goes out. If I have a battery, then my refrigerator and my Wi-Fi they stay on when it's uh, distributed power when it's right there on site power. So uh, again, you know, a bit partial, but um, you know, I like I like the distributed model. Well, how important is it that we have metro government, we have authorities like TVA or NES, companies like Matt's, and, you know, people who help out individuals like yourself, how important is it that everybody kind of comes together to form this collective that you say we're going to need in the future for have it, to have sustainable energy offered to everyone? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's essential but because um, there's, I tell people there's so many facets to solar. I mean, as far as the marketing side to the actual install to the design to you know all of these areas that you can get really kind of sucked into just your your side of it you know and then if that happens then you don't have the uh, kind of more holistic look at okay in this case you know let's see if a distributed is better uh, versus going completely in you know utility scale so um, just having you know, an open discussion, bringing all the players in, especially when you're talking about on a municipal or a state level, mm -hmm. bringing all the players in helps to develop policy uh, 
and, and again, gets us going in the right direction, I think. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil E. Colonna. We're talking this hour about the future of large-scale solar power in our region. And, you know, we have to consider the Tennessee Valley Authority, the energy supplier to the state, and they're going to be involved in any of this sustainability efforts. Matt, has the TVA been receptive to large-scale solar projects? Yeah, and, and Jason and I were actually just at a, a conference in Knoxville a couple of weeks ago hosted by the Tennessee Solar Energy uh, Industry Association. We call it Tennessee. I was president of that organization for a, a, a three years during a time in which TVA had zero mechanism and, and really uh, was uh, had demonstrated a reluctance to procure utility-scale solar. You know, the, the argument was uh, we've got a static or declining load growth. Uh, we don't need the power. Um, and, and so, you know, during that time, a lot of industry participants left the valley and just uh, effectively gave up but, uh, because this is our home and uh, this is our backyard. Along with Jason and other members of the organization, we stayed at the table and uh, it took a little while. I mean, part of our argument was not to um, speak about the moral imperative of decreasing the use of fossil fuels and increasing the use of renewables. We really talked about it. Uh, part of the TVA mission is economic development. And we, we really focused on that because that was something that really uh, we thought was important, not only to TVA, but uh, to the communities that where we live. And around that time in 2017, uh, there was a, a report that was issued by the retail and the IT industry called the Corporate Clean Energy Index. And they ranked all 50 states according to uh, access to renewables for, for, for the corporate sector. And uh, Tennessee ranked dead last. 0. Yeah. 0.0 was the, was, the, was the rating. We kept saying, Tennessee is not going to be competitive to recruit businesses, all of which, you know, increasing numbers. Today, there are over 300 that have committed to uh, RE100, uh, power of their operations, 100% renewable energy. They're not going to locate in Tennessee unless TVA figures that out. And one of the most rewarding things in uh, my time in, in, in solar was really being a part of that conversation with not only with TVA, but state and local leaders, uh, the local power companies, there are 153 of them in, in the TVA service uh, territory. So they were all part of this conversation. And, and ultimately, that's what led to TVA's Green Invest program, whereby today they are uh, back to uh, procuring, they've set uh, ambitious targets to procure uh, 10 gigawatts of solar between now and uh, 2035. And a lot of that is to serve uh, new and existing customers in, and institutions. And one of those seven projects that I was saying we're, we're building as we speak is in Bedford County, and that will serve Vanderbilt, uh, who signed up for the very first green invest project uh, in TBA's history. And so that, I think, uh, you know, rightly so, TBA received a lot of criticism uh, for a number of years for being a laggard. But uh, I think they've, uh, you know, through a, a process of listening, learning, and responding to stakeholders like Jason and, and, and me and our organizations, uh, they're moving in the right direction. Well, can you tell us more about the Green Invest program? Yeah, uh, so the Green Invest program is a is a program they developed uh, really in partnership with some some of the the largest renewable energy buyers on the planet, uh, Google and uh, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, uh, really helped to um, at, at the same time we were having these discussions create the, the the genesis of what became the Green Invest program. They said we're, we want to we want to locate data centers and make significant capital investments in the Valley. Um, uh, but we need a, a green tariff, if you will, whereby we can commit to energy usage over a period of time 
But TVA, you've got to commit to providing us renewable electrons to offset our usage. And so that Green Invest program, uh, under that program, TVA will solicit proposals for quality projects from companies like Silicon Ranch and others. Uh, and then they will marry up projects based on the need uh, and, and certain other parameters for, uh, for other uh, companies. And, and really what, what's been most interesting is, is as the, the program has uh, unfolded is, is the versatility. So yes, it can serve a new customer like a, uh, a Google or a Meta. The project that I uh, mentioned in Jackson, Tennessee that we're building is serving Meta's operations in the Tennessee Valley. But it can also serve a city uh, like Metro Nashville, a project we're going to be building in a couple of years that will help serve Metro, uh, an institution like Vanderbilt, a university, um, uh, like the project we're building in Bedford County today. And so I think that's been uh, one of the uh, the great outcomes is that it's it's not only increasing TVA's use of renewables, but it's not doing it necessarily because, hey, we've got to reduce our use of fossil fuels. It has been driven by market fundamentals, the market saying, we want access to renewables and, and TVA responding to, to, to be more customer centric. All right. So I understand that the Green Invest program also involves some sheep. What's up with the sheep? <laughs> well, it, the, the, it's the, the Green Invest program through our projects at Silicon Ranch. So Silicon Ranch has, a um, uh, you know, one of the things that makes us unique is we own all of our projects. So much of the industry is kind of comprised of solar developers who will, you know, like real estate developers will develop a project and then sell it to a, a financial buyer who will be the long-term owner. Mm-hmm. When Governor Bredesen and Matt and Reagan founded Silicon Ranch a dozen years ago, they said, we're going to own and operate our projects. We're going to be part of the communities where we're locating these projects. And part of that is another thing that makes us unique is we try to buy the land underneath our panels rather than lease them. And so we've, we've recognized about four years ago um, that there was a better way. We were actually inspired uh, by one of our neighbors in Southwest Georgia, who was a world, he is a world-renowned regenerative rancher. And uh, some of your listeners are maybe familiar with regenerative agriculture, but he uh, he invited us down to his ranch, showed us there's a better way to care for your land than what was the the, the industry standard, which is we, we saw our land as a uh, as a cost center, as a liability. We've got to abate our vegetation mm-hmm. by spraying chemicals and uh, herbicides and pesticides and and, and mowing. And uh, and we we realized we can uh, have healthier soil if we manage it using livestock, avoid the use of herbicides and pesticides. We can actually derive additional outcomes. So now we're not only re- uh, generating clean renewable energy. But we're also sequestering carbon in the soil and leading to better outcomes, increased biodiversity, and, and in fact, keeping the land under the panels in agricultural production rather than taking it away. All right. I like that. Sheep as a natural made lawnmower. Perfect. Exactly. Absolutely perfect. Now, Ke- Kendra, we notice sometimes, you know, relations between city government and state government can be a little less than ideal. So how, how do you navigate the sometimes complex relationship with TVS? TVA to get some of these solutions oriented action on green energy. How do you do that? 
That's a really great question. I think um, it's at its core, it's kind of relationship development, right? And, um, you know, taking the step to understand their perspective, but then also asking them to understand our perspective from the local level. Um, and, you know, anytime we're having a conversation with TBA, um, we're also trying to be inclusive of the local power company. Obviously, for Nashville, that's going to be Nashville Electric Services. Um, and so um, I think one of the great things that I've been able to observe when since I've been in my role is, again, um, sort of this movement towards being more collaborative in terms of problem solving. Um, Matt alluded to this, Jason alluded to this, and I, um, you know, while our part, all parties are not um, always aligned, I think um, we're all moving in, in the same direction in a way that previously we did not. And so I think being vocal um, advocates of the city and its residents and making sure that TBA knows that a clean energy future um, is important to us is, is all part of that. Um, I want to quickly touch on um, one opportunity area that we see, and when I say we, I think I'm I'm referencing the city as a whole, including the local power company, is the opportunity to leverage something that's known as the 5% flexibility provision in local power company contracts with TBA. Um, and so one thing that, that TBA has allowed is for up to 5% of a local power company's um, supply um, to come from a resource other than TBA. And so hmm. something that I know Nashville is really, really excited about um, is trying to explore using um, solar to uh, generate up up to 5% um, of, of the local power company's needs. And so um, that's that's a very current dialogue um, and one that we're excited pursuing together with, um, with local power company and TBA. Now you're working on sustainable energy as a part of your job, but it's also personal for you, right? Yeah, I've um, I, I think I've always had an interest in sustainability, um, but then you know when I think um, about the solutions that I see our city and our entire world needing to effectively combat climate change, um, solar I think checks a number of the boxes. Right, um, it's going to reduce our carbon impact. It does result in creation of um, jobs, um, workforce development. Um, it can lead to um, health uh, impacts and health benefits by reducing, again, some of the um, harmful emissions that can come from uh, power that's generated by traditional fossil fuels. And so for me, when I look at all of the um, all of the co-benefits that can come from investing in solar, um, to me, that's a win-win-win um, in, in kind of an exponential fashion. Um, I also uh, have four young children. And so when I think about the future that I'm leaving them, um, you know, it's very much on my mind um, how our generation decisions today and how we supply our, our electricity can can impact them and, and um, either positively or negatively. And so um, I try to think about future generations and whether or not we're setting them up for success um, as I engage in this work. That is the future. There is a future to consider. That is Kendra Abkowitz, Chief Sustainability and Resilience Officer at Metro Nashville. She was joined by Matt Beasley with Silicon Ranch and Jason Carney with Energy Electives. We want to thank everyone who tuned Energy Electives. Thank you, everyone who 
tuned in this hour tomorrow. How did the Southwestern style of cowboy boots take over Nashville fashion? I'm curious. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover, and the masterminds behind our theme music, LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Mr. Eric Kopstein. Conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram. Tell us what you want from our show. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.